I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... Companies like us are very, very successful because we have the Silicon Valley mindset, intentional disruption, and leading the charge and sort of showing them the way. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Today, we talk with Shubi Mishra. She is the founder and CEO of Raft. Raft is a consulting technology and all things to all people fund company that services, amongst many others, our Department of Defense and National Security. Now, I say all things to all people because these days there's so much to do in national security with data management and UX, UI, and all of those, all those code words that she and her colleagues, 149 of them, are absolutely fully engaged in data, data management, data silo, working with our federal government and our Department of Defense to keep us safe. Perhaps as importantly, a woman who started a technology company in Washington, D.C., servicing the Department of Defense, that's a challenge as well. So we chat with her about those things and all things important in technology and D.C. Here's our talk. Shubi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. Tell us about the day you decided to start Raft, you and your colleagues. What, what, was it, what did you see uh, that you felt you guys needed to address or should be addressed? And how, did, how has that day changed from today? Because most times startups pivot a little bit. A lot of pivoting along the way. But so the premise of starting RAF was we often saw delivery not being done when the promises were made. That was a big aha moment. Like, how can it be that tough? That's where we started. But really, you know, three reasons for building this out and sort of continuing to grow uh, until now. First, wanted to work with super smart people doing uh, solving hard problems, hard engineering problems. I'm an engineer by background, so that was absolutely a must. I was scared, <laughs> you know, to even think about, oh, how is the company in the picture? How What can you do? And so nothing, nothing better than facing your fear and running towards uh, fear with a lot of courage. Into the burning building, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. And the third was really, you know, what better way to make an impact that across, uh, you know, not on the scale, but also not only on the scale, but across the nation and a long lasting impact working as um, servicing the public sector and the national security domain through solving hard engineering problems. So those were the sort of the three reasons that led to not only the initiation, but also the scale and continuing to focus on only those problem sets. And it seems like in in perusing the website and, and, and in talking, a significant portion of you and your colleagues' work is in the defense arena. That's correct. Yeah. Heavy focus on national security. Got it. And 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 the mission towards catching the bad guys. Catching bad guys, keeping us safe, as as we say at night. So I, it makes sense because last time I checked, they spend eight hundred billion dollars a year. So it's a pretty big customer. But are there arenas inside Dev uh, National Security that are particularly of interest to? companies like yourself today or is it sort of are you sort of a broad supplier you kind of don't care which or is it somewhere in between it's 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 not a broad supplier not somewhere in between it is very, very much focused on niche um, players in the space and 
around the early adopters, the risk takers, the ones that want to make a difference. Um, so that is our DNA of the customers who align, partners who align with us. And then uh, and within that, sort of the DNA and the people we like to work with specifically focused on three elements that we do. One is helping the national security with building and implementing software factories, also known as um, a DevOps ecosystem. Second would be, you know, connecting the data stovepipes, data silos through a data fabric and fusing that data together to make sense of what's to come. There's a lot of talk about data, so and but we have a lot of amount of experience to do it on a large scale. And then third thing is, you know, how do you thinking of an outcome-based mindset to make software applications that enable better decision making. Wow. So let's stick with the second one, data. As we all know, we hear it every single day. We're awash in data. There's so much data. God knows, just in researching our time together, I found out a lot about you and maybe you about me. I doubt I'm, I'm far less interesting. But you can find up, so, you can find so much information. I guess your point or some of the things you, you termed is finding the right data at the right time for a pursuit of an individual or organization that the Department of Defense cares about. You say data silos. Walk me through some some clients and some situations where that term or other data terms have been sort of uh, your your guidepost and what you've been asked to do. Yes, what data may be a new buzzword in AI is a new buzzword that right. we hear a lot in the industry. But the reality is, we have been collecting data for a while now as a nation. And what has happened, you know, is everybody has been collecting their data within their silo or a stovepipe. And nobody thought of at the time to figure out a system that would enable conversation between these data pieces. So now you have a ton of data, which hasn't necessarily, they're not talking to each other. So not only you're limited by the insight you can have by extracting that information and putting it all together, and then in the future, how do you avoid that problem? Mm-hmm. So that is what we call the concept of a fabric. How do you stitch these different data, you know, lakes or warehouses, whatever you want to call it, stitch them, connect them. And then once you've done the that part, the second part is how do you make sense of that, which is through data fusion, integration, you know, diff- different AI, ML, different methods. So is the DOD or that arena leading the charge or do you find that you're seeing in the commercial arena you know what Procter and Gamble knows about people that buy detergent are they sort of parallel tracks or is our Department of Defense kind of ahead of the game uh, so, unfair question but I'll ask it <laughs> so I would say you know companies like us are very very successful because we have that the Silicon Valley mindset of yeah. intentional disruption and, and leading the charge and sort of showing them the way. So I think the problem that you have, let's say, in big corporations, whether that be Procter Gamble, is very similar to what we have in DoD. So the yeah. problem set is very um, similar. The bureaucracy is very similar. Probably the red tape is probably very similar. Um, but I think that's where the opportunity comes into the picture and where companies like Facebook or LinkedIn or Uber, we, they have these sort of data problems too, but they have figured out a way to solve them. Mm-hmm. And Raft is bringing similar use, you know, similar um, application of how to solve these problems through DOD, enabling them to solve them through the lessons learned that we have from working 
with these different organizations, heavy data organization, into the DoD so that they can get that um, accelerated and you know achieve their mission. Disruption is one of those words that I think scares a lot of people. And you know, you bathe in it. I've spent a lot of my time in my career in it. Do you find, be it DOD, federal government, even state-level governments, do you have to get past that word and say, I'm not disrupting, I'm enhancing, I'm growing? I mean, how, how do you sort of sell the idea of new behavior to people that are very entrenched? That's why I use now the word intentional disruption. There you go. So that's, that's key because you don't necessarily need to disrupt everything. You have to be very intentional about the why of what you choose. Um, the second thing is, again, you know, as humans in general, there's a bell curve, and we focus on on the type of behaviors, I want to say, and we focus on the early adopters who are keen to figure out the art of possible nice. to solve their problems. And once you have, you know, several early adopters on board, you know, special operation forces or any of the, you know, the mission system who are living and breathing the problem right now, if you have them on board, then you see the tide changing. And so we have narrowly focused ourselves to wor- work with them. That makes a ton of sense. Find, find some agents, so to speak, inside the arena that are buying into the, to the overall vision and have them sort of drip down into the more, the more uh, legacy cement-like arena of this $800 billion are- uh, 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 entity called the Department of Defense. But we also chatted about UX and UI, user experience, user interface. I'll bet in when you're catching bad guys, you sort of need to know how to use the devices or the data in front of you. I've always thought that the government tends to present information in a very thick and unusable way. How much of your colleagues and your efforts are about presenting the stuff, the, the, the data that you find, as well as, well as the data itself? So we make sure, doesn't matter what we do, there always is an outcome-based way to solve the problem. So in this case, right, in any case, if the goal is to figure, you know, to use the system in the time of need when it's crunch time, right. it needs to be very intuitive to what it needs to do so that you don't have to use a learning manual, right? It, 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 anyone could use that. But while making, you know, being cognizant of what people have been used to for the past several years. So you can take an operator on the scene, you know, give them completely new and expect them to work. It's like you've got to fuse the both. So, so to do that, it has to be very careful user experience design and then taking it to a live working prototype. And then from there, um, making it go out in the field. So user experience is part of the entire journey. And it's just not one and done. And user-focused design is part of the entire journey and the continuous feedback loop. We're talking with Shubi Mishra. She is the founder and CEO of Raft. They are, well, they do a lot of good stuff. We've been, we've been chatting about that. So tell us how you got your first set of clients at Raft. Were they all government or did you do some commercial work before that? What, what was that journey, so to speak? Yeah, so my personal journey was I came... Here, and I know we, you asked me specifically about RAF, but my personal journey ties into a lot of the how I got my first clients at RAF, so I'll go a little bit into that. When, you know, 13 years ago-ish, uh, I came to the country with big dreams of um, solving cancer. That's my background is in, and quickly realized that I was not meant to be in a lab for a long period of time. So Good. I liked yeah. hard problems for, you know, for a limited 
hardness of the problem for a set period of time. And then I wanted to find a new problem to solve. And that was just sort of my DNA. Um, and so initially um, working, um, you know, working at National Institutes of Health um, with their research scientists, figuring out on a lot of the data problems that enabled me or gave me the window into what is GovTech, government, mm -hmm. uh, you know, tech consulting industry. And that's where I saw that gap of, hey, why do we promise and don't deliver? It's, yep. It should be very simply easy. And that enabled, you know, so yes, there were few um, clients that, you know, we partnered and helped with uh, while we were trying to figure out our way around GovTech. Um, and once we started working on the problem sets we wanted to work on, that further enabled us to get into a, a program that um, DOD, I feel like, is really good at is small business innovation research, yep. the SIBRs. And that was really, and we were able to deliver very fast results in a very short period of time. So that opened the door into you know similar programs that wanted help. And that's how our portfolio started growing. We're talking with Shubi Mishra. She is the founder and CEO of Raft. When we return, we're going to drill down on public-private partnerships and SBIR being one example and how you've seen and participated in some of the success there. It's What's Working in Washington. We'll be back after this. on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a DC insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. Many of our guests have come to us from others who say, Hey, if your show's about people who are really getting things done in the region, you should really be talking to dot, dot, dot. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Again, we're here with Shubi Mishra. Shubi is the founder and CEO of Raft, a consulting technology firm here in Washington, D.C., with a particular focus at the Department of Defense, catching bad guys and keeping us safe. Great to have you with us. Let's talk about public-private partnerships. We touched on that earlier. SIBR, S-B-I-R, program near and dear to my heart, is one of many examples, I think, where the government and agencies within the federal government find innovation and capital to help it and are a customer for that capital. And I know you know this, but when I was running the SBIR program, the DOD was the largest customer of SBIR investments. Some of them turned out pretty good. Some of them didn't, which is, you know, sort of a venture capital attitude. What is your sort of day-to-day -day or your colleagues' day-to-day -day exposure to SBIR? Are you sort of trolling SBIR awardees? 
trying to see if there's some applications you can use them for? Are you the representative of the DOD to SBIR awardees somewhere in between? We love SIBRs, SBIRs. Got it. SIBR, I'll say SIBR. <laughs> um, we love, um, either way it works, we love the Small Business Innovation Research Programs. And because I feel like that provides you a quick way to, you know, helping support the important missions without necessarily going through your request for proposals and right. the whole source selection and which, you know, it's a 12 to 18 month cycle. So th- this for us has been really a program that's been very gifted and we have made huge strides using it. For us, it has been it's enabled to us, uh, in my uh, personal opinion, SIBRs are always like two years ahead of their time. Yes. Um, and so it's like, hey, looking at the problem set that is going to be in the future and sort of, you know, putting enough um, wheels in motion for it to when the government is like, all right, let's think of the RFP or the big, big dollars when they come, you at least have developed a prototype and you're ready to in the private sector, as they say, product market fit, you have sort of done that. So when the time comes for it, you're ready to scale and supporting the big programs. Well, some, I mean, some, forgive me, I, I, I can't help but give this a short example that I tell people, and you probably know this, sometimes SBIR investments, and it, you know, it's capital from the U.S. government, non-dilutive grants to startups end up being incredibly interesting commercial applications. For instance, the Roomba vacuum cleaner was an army SIBR investment. They needed a thing that could search for landmines and knew where it had been. Just like your Roomba robot knows where in your apartment it's, it's, it's vacuumed. So that SBIR investment turned into a commercial company, which I think is an, one of thousands of examples of our tax dollars, bluntly, uh, with consultants and, and, and assistance from firm, firms like Raft, ending up making a difference in, in our life. I'm sure you see that all the time. 100%. And so our sort of, you know, what we have been able to, our recent uh, SIBR um, program that we've been able to leverage from a phase one to a phase three now, which is the final phase for yeah. these awards, is um, around the data, around the data fabric where you you join, stitch these different data silos to make sense of decisions. Love it. So, so the, the data stove problem does not only exist in Department of Defense. It exists anywhere. You name it Target, you name it Procter & Gamble, you name these you know, disconnected systems like oils and machineries, oil rigs and stuff. And so the idea is, hey, once you have them, you've solved this problem here, we can solve them for a similar, wherever there's disconnected or planned disconnectivity or on-prem systems for the commercial sector. I mean, this that's great to hear again. It's this validation that our tax dollars are not necessarily being wasted on the new F-34 or whatever people complain about. So let's change gears a little bit. Obviously, being a woman in the defense industry, startup CEO as you are, walk us through that. I mean, you haven't raised any venture money. It's been, according to you, bootstrapped. So that must be a a tough road to hoe to start up. What have been some of the highlights and the lowlights? Yeah, tough road indeed. <laughs> or it's, all, it's all highlights, I'm sure. Yeah, right? no, it's all highlights. It's all the battle scars that, you know, that we live and celebrate. I think being a woman in defense has been a very rewarding journey. And I personally like to see always um, see the glass half full. And so it has been while I'm the only, you know, one of the few in the room who's 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 a woman, you know, and minority 
But at the same time, I'm one of the few that's in the room and then and can have those conversations. The highlight has been personally to not only see Raft grow to 150 strong now through delivery, organic growth through delivery and, you know, following up to what it promises. And the, some of the lessons learned has have been just understanding people a little better and figuring out a different path that's not about kissing the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been a very hard path, um, but I feel like I have had enough enough lessons learned in that flywheel so that it started catching momentum and gotten it bigger and faster and quicker. So now it's, 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 a, it's at a good place. Have you found the pool of candidates here in the Washington, D.C., when you pursue diversity in your workforce to be rich and robust, or do you wish it was more so? Um, that's a, g- a great advantage at Raft is we don't necessarily hire within the area. So it's 10% of our workforces right now within Rafters are within the D.C. metro area. 10%? 10%. Okay. So we are you know geographically distributed. Um, so as much as generally we talk about COVID, or talk about, hey, the transition and the work and the talent for us has been a very blessing. Um, and we have grown 400 times since the inception of COVID and total 700% because we were able to always leverage that outside the box thinking. So we have a huge presence in San Antonio. We have a huge presence in Colorado Springs, Tampa, all these sort of, you know, mission-specific basis. Yeah. And then these guys also work remote, so it's not like they're sort of going every day into a skiff or something. And so COVID has been a blessing for us. As at, And it's been very hard, don't get me wrong, for the entire company, but I think everybody came together to make sure, you know, we flourished. I see Tampa, Colorado Springs. <clears throat> I was reminded I was out in Bentonville, Arkansas, and all of the major corporations that want to sell in Walmart have offices in Bentonville, so they're right near the mothership of this massive retailer, and it sounds like you have similar <clears throat> applications in Tampa with, uh, I guess, JSOC or SOCOM or whatever, and then Colorado Springs. But you say COVID has been a blessing. Boy, we don't hear that often. <laughs> what are some platforms and technologies that you've used to keep everybody fully engaged and informed? We were set up as a remote first company. Um, so, and, you know, coming from the having the Silicon Valley DNA and coming from that kind of tech, that was very natural to us. Um, so platforms, you know, we have Slack or Mattermost that we, we all do. The above. All of the above. Yeah. And I think the key is over communication mm-hmm. that has helped us to connect. So, you know, I, I listen, I read a lot. And one of the things that caught to me is like, unless people, um, once they tell you that they're bored with that information, that's the first time they've started listening. So that has been sort of the mantra to be like, you, you know, keep an often repeat um, so make sure everybody hears not only what's going on in the company, how are we growing, um, what numbers are we focusing on, how many new rafters are there, what are their strengths. And some people learn visually, some people learn through messages, some people learn through videos. So different ways to communicate the same information, so you, the, the rafters and the people that we have understand. Rafters, I guess that's the, yeah, that's a good internal you also have a law degree. How often do you use that? And, and, and is that something that you think you'll use more in the future? Uh, it's, it's in every day I use it because I think for me, going to law school um, expanded my horizon and made me understood the gray that um, as an engineer, I used to live in black and white. Either it works or it doesn't. 
Um, but Code is code. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but I think that's where, you know, sort of the gray came to the picture. Um, so I use that every day in not only the decision making that I make, but also, you know, the bids we go after, um, the programs we choose to uh, implement or not. So it's, it's, it's been a game changer. Shubi Mishra, CEO and founder of Raft, 150 employees, yes? DC-based, yes. uh, bootstrapped. It's great to have you. We ask every guest here on What's Working in Washington at the end of our time together uh, to step up to the highest level. And if you, were, if you ran the world for whatever period of time, what's one thing you might start happening that is not currently happening? What's one thing you might stop happening which you find reprehensible, one or the other or both? Start happening. I'll say two things. <laughs> um, one of the first thing is we need to start talking a lot more about cognitive diversity in addition to cultural diversity, and you know, um, and share both of those things need to share the same amount of light, limelight. Different backgrounds, different disciplines, very critical for the team that you are. You know. You could surround yourself with your part of, in addition to cultural diversity. So cognitive, as in how you think, how you see the world, as opposed to your gender or your demographics? Yes. Interesting. And, and the, the different backgrounds you come from and yeah. how that play in your decision making. Okay. Number um, one. That's number one. Um, and the second is um, some sort of way to have, you know, when you have these Zoom meetings or team meetings, like there's a auto music that plays in the background. So it sort of sets the mood and describes the person that's coming to the stage. So wow. to talk about it. So that's kind of cool. So it's like the music they play when batters are coming up to the bat at the Nationals games. They choose their they choose yes. their music. Yes. So you could choose your music as you enter Zoom? Th that's exactly it. And how awesome would that be? That would be incredible. <laughs> that, that, that would be awesome. I would pay extra for that. <laughs> and then the one thing I would want to sort of, you know, um, stop is pollution in the ocean. I think it's so frightening. It is. It is. And you see those pictures. Those are kind of crazy. I mean, the island of plastic in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's yeah. I have grandchildren now and I'm like, what what are they? What have we left them? Yes. Well, Shubi, those are two, actually three fantastic, two two things you want to happen and one thing you wish would stop happening. It's Shubi Mishra, Shubi, uh, CEO of RAP. Thanks for being with us today on What's Working in Washington. Thanks so much, Mark. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening. You know, I often find myself wondering, what's great about Washington, D.C.? And then I'm reminded about our business, our government, our arts, our not-for-profits, our education arenas. All are fantastic and special, not only to our nation, but really to the world. I'm glad I live here. I hope you are too. And I hope that our show continues to give you some enlightenment, some information, some actionable intelligence, and hopefully some enthusiasm about what works in Washington, D.C. So once again, thanks for listening. What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.